Well, hey everyone, welcome to Framework Leadership, a podcast about principles and ideas you can use today to take your leadership to the next level. We're now exclusively a part of the SEU Podcast Network. I'm your host, Kent Ingle, president of Southeastern University. And I'm your co-host, Michael Steiner, SEU Chief of Staff. And wow, we're privileged today to uh, introduce our guest for today's show, Dr. Jeff Paul. Dr. Yes. Paul is brand new dean of the Janitides College of Business and Entrepreneurial Leadership here at Southeastern University. He's been a faculty member at several other uh, universities and served as the vice president of strategy and planning for public oil and gas exploration company, Lillis Energy. Mm-hmm. Dr. Paul has had many accomplishments, including University Scholar of the Year from Oral Roberts. Uh, and uh, Dr. Paul has a passion for business research and is also currently a co-editor for the Organizational Management Journal. Man, it's great to have you on the show today. Thank you, gentlemen. I appreciate being here. Yeah, you know, I'm looking forward to our conversation about business and and, and leadership. And uh, and so I want to I start with uh, your career at, at Lillis uh, Energy. How, how did you get into the energy industry and what was your role there and what all did, what all transpired? That's a good story. I'll give you the I'll give you the modified version of okay. the story. So we don't have a, a ton of time, but uh, you I was, don't have to do modified. You can go full on. <laughs> full on. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll worry about it in post. You just give it, a little yeah, bit. Yeah, give, give us the full speech from the beginning to the end. Well, I was a, a, a faculty member at the University of Tulsa, born and raised in Tulsa, so that was kind of my dream school. Um, had a dual appointment in the Department of Management and Marketing, and then also they had a School of Energy, Economics, Policy, and Commerce. Nice mm-hmm. long, long-winded name. I had zero energy experience. I mean, I flipped the lights on and off. I filled up my, yeah. my car with gas. That was about it. Um, but I taught a class there called Leading and Managing Energy Organizations. So I, I knew the leadership side. I knew the management side. did a lot of research and uh, education on that side. Um, and so I just walked along with these students. And they, these were executives uh, or owners of, of energy organizations. And I had a student in there, best student I've had before or since. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I did an oral final exam in that class, which is a little unique. And mm-hmm. he, he flew down from New York City, sat down and had an oral test with me, and I'm grilling huh. him. Uh, and I said, well, you, you want to know your score? Yeah, I gave him a 98% or wow. something. And then he said, well, Dr. Paul, what are you doing after this? And I said, I got nothing going on, man. What's going on? And he said, well, come on, let's go. And so we went to the airport, and we hopped in his private jet, and wow. we flew down to Amarillo, Texas, and then we went out on the oil rig. Now, I don't know if you guys have ever been on an oil rig. No, no never been. It is loud and wow. stinky and yeah. <laughs> crass and vulgar, and just it's. but it's really cool to see this you know, black gold coming up out of the ground wow. yeah. and the, uh, the synchronization between the workers there. I mean, it's life and death, and, and they, are, yeah. they know where everyone's at at the right time and doing the right things. And so a lot of fun, and uh, on the private jet ride home, the, um, my student was, man, Jeff, I want you to come work for me. And I said, man, no, Avi, I'm good. I, I got my dream job here. I'm loving it. And um, no, no, I need you to come work for me. And he said, just do what you're doing in class. Just teach my students strategic management principles, time management, mm-hmm. project management, communication, motivation, all that stuff. And uh, I said, no, I'm good. I'm good. And he said, well, I'll triple your salary. And wow. There you yeah, go. My, you that know, gets the attention. Absolutely, right, it? it's one of those. You know, let me pray about that. But, <laughs> yeah. um, and I did, and um, went into it immediately, and, and just loved it. And uh, having been in higher ec- uh, education for quite some time, the challenge was the speed and yeah. the pace uh, of movement. There, it's a public company. We'd meet on Monday as part of the top management team. We'd make a decision. We'd implement on Tuesday. You see the stock bump on Wednesday. Wow. Um, and for somebody that you know lived on a fall semester, spring semester, summer break yeah. uh, schedule, 
It was intense, yeah. um, but I loved it. It took me about a week to get up to speed. And that's about all you had. That's, right. It was because if not, they're going to leave you behind. Right. They're going to leave you behind. And so um, the challenge there was is you know I had a PhD in business management, a master of business administration. They could have cared less. Mm -hmm. These oil executives are like, what can you do for me right now? Yeah. What can you do? How can you help me? And let me ask this question: um, How how did your education all of that? help prepare you for that role at Lullis? Yeah, so it, it gave me the, the fundamentals, the basics, and some things that I taught in my business management classes over time. You know, you got to have a plan, you got to organize the resources and understand what resources you, you don't have and how to mm -hmm. accomplish uh, filling in those gaps. And then how do you control that process? How do you make sure we're on the path to, to accomplish the things that we need to accomplish? Um, uh, but then it was just, uh, honestly, just a level of humility going in and saying, guys, I'm new at this, I'm fresh at this, and, and just no bones about it. And I, I've seen people come into situations I know everything. Just look at me. I'm awesome. Just ask me, and, and they'll um, and they crash and burn pretty quick. And so I think that that layer of humility, while it was out of place uh, at that oil company, um, you know, they would say, "Man, Jeff, you're kind of meek," which was not a positive. You know, in yeah. Christian circles, that that's you know, inherit the earth, right? Right, but, right, right. Uh, there, that was that was not. And so I, I learned to have meekness with an edge, um, mm. to be able <laughs> like to uh, be critical, yeah. uh, make hard decisions, and also hold people accountable. And uh, I kind of directly answer your question, I think that higher education just exposed me to different frames of thought, to sure. different theories, to mm. different approaches, to how uh, great leaders and managers have done things in the past and, and what I can learn from some and, and you know, disregard other things. And um, But the, the good thing with the, the speed and the pace of the decisions, uh, it was, you know, you, you move from one decision on to the next. There's no time to, to worry about uh, the previous decision. And so uh, having some thick skin, and but then also just learning uh, as you go. Uh, yeah. Was, was the but I'm key. super curious about, you know, strategy at that speed and then that scale, right? Like nimbleness, where everybody's talking about how do you make your company more agile, especially now after the pandemic and stuff. What were some of the principles you guys were using to help make decisions that fast and get them into implemented that fast? Absolutely. Some things that didn't work is looking at what everybody else was doing. Um, and so that kind of early on, that, that was their challenge was what are the big guys doing or what are these other organizations in the same kind of space doing? You just can't do it. You don't have the same resource base. You don't mm -hmm. have the same um, you know, skill level. Uh, uh, in play there. Um, and so the, the big thing there was just really clear communication of what our goals are. So my boss, the CEO, who was my student, every meeting we went into, he went in and wrote $1 billion on, you know, with the commas and all the zeros. Yeah. Um, and, he, and he would point the, the dry erase markings like, this is what we're shooting for. Hmm. As we get out of this meeting, what is going to help this company reach a billion dollar valuation? And so that was the focus of every decision. That was the focus of every meeting. Um, you know, what, while I might think there, there are other equally important uh, metrics, uh, objectives, mm -hmm. other than just uh, you know stock return and, and valuation, um, it it cleared um, uh, clearly aligned our thinking, and yeah. that was really critical. And, and sometimes we get stuck, and you're like billion dollars. How's this helping us get to a billion dollars? Wow. And, okay. um, wow. and it worked. You know, we when we started when I started with the organization, it was probably worth fifty, sixty million dollars. You know, pretty good. Yeah. Uh, when we left, it was about six hundred and fifty million dollars. Wow, so we didn't quite great. get to the billion, but um, well, and that was you know in less than a year. And so we were. The fastest growing oil and, and gas stock of that year. We went from an over-the-counter stock mm -hmm. to Nasdaq. Got to ring the Nasdaq bell, which was yeah. pretty cool. Yeah, that's uh, New York Stock Exchange. Again, things that I had, you know, thought about, talked about for for years. And I'm sitting there like, I'm doing this. You know, I'm really doing. I'm sitting in Times yeah. Square. I see a big, 30-story picture of me ringing a bell, and I'm just, you know, 
it was it was humbling to, to see that. But um, that speed of, of change and that pace really helped pay it off. So how did you guys translate that mindset at the C-suite level, right? It's easy to say, come in, make a decision and stuff. How do you get that to the rest of the organization? How do you get everybody else involved and thinking and driving towards that same direction? Yeah, it was a, and there was a, in particular a challenge. Um, <clears throat> we were pretty light on employees. We outsourced most everything. You okay. know, the people that uh, drilled the wells, the people that got it from from the, the well to market, uh, and yeah. even some of the accountants, um, a lot of the things were, were outsourced. And so that made it even more challenging because, you know, ideally you're just going to have a, a unified culture. You're going to have everybody on the same page. But with these multiple vendors, uh, it didn't work that well. So as we're vetting out the, the, the vendor relationship, just really clarifying, this is this is our objective. These are our ideals. These are the it. things that are important to us. And then just a continual accountability and, and quickly uh, identifying this isn't working. You guys aren't doing the things that we, we need you to do, uh, and let's identify how we can overcome that. Yeah, and and do have a quick question. Speaking of of um, the the uh, industry, I'd like to know what your thoughts are on on where it's going with the current uh, political and environmental uh, you know climate. Where do you see it going? I mean, you know what a year or so ago we were kind of working in a way that we could provide all the energy we needed in our country and not have to depend on anybody else. That seems to have switched a little bit now. Where do you think this industry is going? Yeah, that's a good question. If we could figure that out, we'd uh, we'd make a lot of money for yeah, Southeastern University. That's, that's true. Uh, a lot of a lot of people figuring that out. It's very cyclical. Uh, very cyclical. Uh, uh, my dad used to work for an oil and gas company on the IT side, um, and you know you'd go five or eight years, and then there's a round of layoffs, and then you you'd start over. And in oil and gas, like I said, they pay a lot of money. They, yeah. they value their resources, um, uh, and but the challenge is holding on to them in that cyclical uh, framework, and so. Um, but definitely the political realities, the environmental concerns. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm from Oklahoma, and so um, you know, I know from California, you, you have earthquakes. California, oh, yeah, right? Yeah, you know, yeah. in Oklahoma, they got a ton of earthquakes. Earthquakes. You know, mm-hmm. back like in 2005 and before, they had one earthquake a year, two earthquakes. Now they're having hundreds. Wow. A year, and wow. it's uh, not directly attributable to the oil and gas production there, but. It's directly attributable to the oil and gas production wow. there. I mean, and so yeah. you can't you can't ignore those realities. No, um, yeah. I used to live in in uh, Bakersfield, California, oh, yeah. and Oildale there, and there was a, a a bluff that you could drive up and look and and see the oil fields, mm-hmm. and then even on our church property, Bakersfield First, uh, we had probably five or six oil wells. The, the continual pumping and, and all that, but yeah. No, and that's, that's the challenge is there's many communities. And, and actually, my father got transferred from Tulsa to Bakersfield my senior okay. high school. So okay. I've been on that bluff. I've seen, yeah. I've, yeah. I've yep. seen that, that work there. Um, the challenge is a lot of these um, oil, these locations, oil and gas is just ingrained in the community. Yeah. And there would not be employment uh, for the most part, the, a lot of the ancillary services that are there. So you're not just talking about what's the cleanest way to get the energy we need. Yeah. We need to think about those things. But it is also just um, ingrained in communities across the United States and around the world. And so uh, the biggest, you know, if if it's me, and and again, I have limited experience in that area, but it it can't be an all or nothing. I think right now the um, petroleum producers are, this this is fine, there's no problems with it. The alternative energy folks are saying, no, no, we got to do something different. I think there needs to be a mix. I think Mm -hmm. that you can have a blend of you know fossil fuels, of alternative, of nuclear, and again, I'm I'm already out of my expertise area there. Yeah. But I, I think that um, these area these these different institutions are siloed and they don't want to work together. Mm-hmm. Um, they want to keep their 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 piece of the map. Well, I think it's you know we part of it.
it is we all got to get on the same page of, of what our goals are for energy. Absolutely. Like what's what's the point of energy? Do we want to make sure that energy is accessible for everybody, right? That that mm-hmm. creates one round of decisions. Do we want to make sure that our energy is, is environmentally neutral, right? That's a whole different set Absolutely. of decisions. And until we can come to a to kind of a consensus a little bit about what our goals are as a country for our energy. And like you said, it's probably somewhere in the middle, right? It's something where we don't want to cut out 90% of people from being able to access energy, but at the same time, we don't want to destroy the land that we're going to have to live in for the next little bit anyway while we're at it. And so that that kind of dis- dysfunction is what really, you know, different people have different priorities on that part of it. And they have how- different time time horizons. Some people are like, now, how can I make com- money for my company now or provide my employees right. now? We need to have a 10, 20, 50, 200 yeah, year time horizon yeah. that we yeah. need to be thinking about these yeah. things. Yeah, and think, and think bigger about it. So how can leaders in so and I, the, the, the question I have is about you leading this company, this organization, understanding it's cyclical, understanding that depending on who's the president, who's running the country, determines kind of what your priorities are, what you have to do and stuff. How do you manage to keep moving forward, keep those long goal horizons while managing this really ever-changing landscape? Yeah, and it's, uh, I think it's an unfortunate reality that you know energy independence um, and um, policy has become a kind of a geopolitical poker chip. Yeah, I mean, right. it's not what's best for our society, what's best for our future generations, it's what's best for our country, or how can we have dominance over another country, and I think that's, I think that's foolish uh, to be able to do that. Um, I think, uh, Dr. Snyder, to answer your question, is uh, you have to prepare for those cycles. You have to kind of yeah. scenario plan, contingency planning, and all right, if this person is elected president, how is that going to affect our, um, our operations, uh, the market price, these mm-hmm. different things, and how can we prepare for that? And uh, well, if this other person is elected, what are the other course of actions that we need to take? And so um, you're not going to be able to fully predict the future, but mm-hmm. um, you know, in my, my scholarship and my education, I, my three tasks where I want to be able to explain the phenomenon, what's understanding, um, I need to understand it first, explain it to somebody else, and the third hard part is predict. I want to be able to predict sure. what's going to happen yeah. if this person is president or predict what's going to happen if oil falls below $30 a, a gallon. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, you can spend a lot of time doing those things because you're, you're, you're kind of scenario planning uh, to death to a certain degree. But I think with time, you become more proficient at it and you come up with two or three different options and um, you try to align that so you're best poised to, to meet whatever you need to do. Yeah. Part of that is Slack resources. Part of that is having the human talent mm-hmm. able to be flexible. Some yeah. people are great at what they do, but they, if you ask them to do something else, they, they can kind of freeze up. And yeah. so I think that's part of what we did is hire for flexibility of talent, yeah. uh, and not just excellence in one area, but the ability to uh, bring on new skills and abilities and apply it in different contexts. So if you're a student listening to that right now, and you're thinking, okay, how can I be the most hireable person, right, for a guy like you, a VP at an oil company, sure. something like that, what what are the skills that break down flexibility? What could I be investing in? What should they be investing in to make themselves the most flexible, agile yeah. kind of person and valuable for your organization? Uh, that's an excellent question, and I wish more students were asking that question. <laughs> right. most, no, most, of are, most of them, how can I get a job? Right, right. 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 How do I get in the workforce? Uh, and, the, the, and it is linked to that question. Sure. Right. I mean, yeah. that's part of it is we want you to get a job, but we want you to, to not just get a job. We want you to be valuable to the organization that you get a job at. Correct. Correct. Uh, I, I think um, asking the question is important, but the biggest thing that I tell students is your degree, and I shouldn't say this too loud, sitting across from the president, <laughs> your degree is uh, relatively meaningless. Your degree is not mm-hmm. meaningless. Absolutely is not. But 
if that's what you're using as the differentiating factor, right. that's meaningless. Right. Now, yes, certain schools can give you um, a, a unique focus that can help better prepare you, and I think I think um, Southeastern does that here. Um, but you need to have much more than just the degree because everybody else that you're competing with has the degree. Yeah. And so um, the, the biggest things that I would tell a student is have a, a learning-oriented orient, mindset. Being yeah. Know that you don't know everything. Right. Mm-hmm. Even if you are an expert in the field, you can still always learn these things. Right. So know that you don't know everything, uh, and then actively seek out role models. Seek out people that are in positions that you aspire to, right. and, and just touch base with them. And yeah. you know, uh, what advice do you have for me? If you could go back and do things differently, what would you do? Um, uh, and I know a lot of students aren't in that kind of networking or advice-seeking um, mindset, but what I tell them is, as someone that people go to for advice, you're rarely a burden on them. And actually, it's a little flattering if someone mm-hmm. comes to you and says, hey, I want to figure out what I'm going to do with my career, and you can help me. Right. Um, and so just, just just seek out those opportunities and those relationships. Um, and then as much while you're here, while you're um, – you know, responsibility level is relatively lower. Just get exposed to as many different places as you right. can, different mm-hmm. types of people, types of institutions, uh, types of work environments. Um, and th- that'll help you figure out what you want to do and where you can yeah. be successful. That's why I've always believed it's so important to jump into internships mm. early yep. on. Not yeah. wait till you know, a lot of people think, well, I'll get one when I'm a senior or whatever. No. Start when you're a freshman even. You know, yeah, get out there and experience it because it'll just open doors and help you to network in a pretty significant way. Um, now, over the years, uh, you've done a lot of multiple uh, presentations at a lot of conferences, international conferences. You've developed a lot of uh, case studies, several including, uh, f- you know, focusing on uh, that focuses on leadership and teams and organizational culture climate, um, uh, autism in the workplace. What what prepared you for these big projects and these public, you know, lectures and, and public demonstrations? Sure. Yeah. Um, as I decided, I, I wanted to go back and get my, my doctoral degree. Uh, my whole focus was I wanted to teach. I mean, mm-hmm. I, the, the times in my career that I got the most joy and value was whenever I was sitting with somebody and helping them understand a new concept and just seeing that aha light in the, mm-hmm. in the uh, employees go off. And so I wanted to go back and, and teach. And um, I, I, my doctoral institution, they're like, no, you want to research. I was like, no, no, I want to teach. They said, no, you want to research because they were – it's easier to get a job in the field if you have that research credibility as right. well. And so um, kind of my joy in this is was in those doctoral programs where we're reading 10 or 12 different academic articles each week, and not just from a mindset of understanding it, but what are the problems with this? What are yeah. the holes? What is it not um, you know, telling us in this uh, academic you know, research project here? And so I started to try to fill in those holes. And um, a little intimidating at first until you just keep reading them. And you're like, right. I can do this. It's, it's not as easy as following a recipe, right. but it is to a certain degree. And then particularly with the conferences, I would go and I'd watch these and I, in the back of my mind, I'm like, I can do that. Yeah. I can do that. You yeah. know, I, I don't know everything that went into that, but just being able to deliver that that yeah. presentation, and then once I started, you know, buckling down and, and doing that work, it, it's a ton of work and it's hard. But very quickly, you become the expert in that area. Mm-hmm. And you know, my my dissertation, there was probably ten people that could speak coherently on that topic, um, and so I learned pretty quickly I'm an expert in this area, yeah. and then mm-hmm. uh, that helps spread around that that expertise to other individuals, and, and particularly the case studies is <clears throat> as a student. I learned best from stories, not mm-hmm. just the textbook. Here's the highlighted 
you know, keyword that you need to know the definition for, take a multiple choice quest, uh, test. You now, for me, it was the stories. Um, you, know, you know, Johnny is struggling with this decision. Here is the different scenarios that he's facing. What should you do? And those cases are, are built for you to make the decision. Um, and again, my area of expertise is management, and management's a practice. You know, lawyers right. practice right. law. You know, yep. doctors, they practice medicine. Managers practice managing other individuals. And so perfection is never going to get there. Mm -hmm. I think we can uh, grow in that ability. We can be sanctified in that management process, mm -hmm. become better and better over time. Um, and, and that's, I think, for the students to know there's no one right, best way all the time. Um, part of that is every individual is going to bring their own unique perspective. Mm -hmm. Every employee that you're managing is going to be completely different. And so just having that capacity to um, be flexible and adjust your leadership style to what the situation demands, I think, is the most important. Well, and for I know for me personally, like, one of the biggest challenges once you transition out of your degree program, undergrad, master, doctor, doesn't matter what the level is, is jumping from that where it's all structured for you, right? Like diving into a topic, all that kind of stuff is structured for you. Read this article, write this paper, do all this different stuff. After the program, how do you keep up that curiosity? How do you keep working on a craft in a way that there's nobody asking you for it? There's no deadlines. There's no right. papers. How do you keep improving yourself even after you've kind of le left a program like that? Yeah, that, uh, <clears throat> the sad reality is most people don't. Right. Most people don't. Most people, they are, uh, I remember when I took my comprehensive exams for PhD, my, my chair said, you're the smartest you'll ever be. <laughs> you have all this right. knowledge, and now you took this test, and now it's, it's all downhill from there. So people see that... Um, PhD getting that hood as the finish line. Uh, and for me, it was, no, nah, this is just like a checkpoint. Right, I'm going to keep right, on going. Right. Because I didn't... The, I wanted that degree to, to accomplish my objectives, but that degree was just a, a stepping stone to get to where I wanted to be. And so for me, what I got value of isn't the degree so much as coming up with new knowledge right. yeah. and then seeing somebody else read that and it's like, that's pretty cool. I'm going to use that in my paper. Mm -hmm. And so I've got a I don't know if I should admit it or not, but I've got a Google Scholar alert. So anytime yeah. someone cites one of my papers, I get that that ding and I, I see it and, and I go and I check it out. And um, it's kind of, you know, I, I played video games when I was little, so it's kind of like leveling up. Right. You know, sure. You get, yeah. you get accomplishments, achievements, and all right, now you're level two, now you're level five, you know. And, um, and little things like that, it makes it competitive for me. It makes right. it... Um, uh, it's kind of to bridge back with the oil experience and the research experience is the contribution to impact that mm -hmm. I could have. Like at the oil company, sitting part of that top management team, I had impact. Mm -hmm. And um, on a research level, I have impact. And then so I think it was a couple years went by, and one of the premier books in leadership that people read um, in an educational setting, one of my papers was cited in that. And yeah. I was like, Peter North outside of my book. Wow. And, yes. and I was, great. you know... Yeah. Uh, I say stay humble, but it was it was cool. No, I mean, it was good. a really yeah. cool feeling, and so that helps drive you forward into mm -hmm. the future. And yeah. and then after a while, it's what what question do I want to answer? And it used mm -hmm. to be what research project would help me get published so that I could get a job, so that I could you know yeah. stay long term at a, at a school. But now it's hey, I'm interested in this. Yeah. How yeah. can I answer that? What's the best? Who should I talk to? What's the best test to mm -hmm. uh, understand the data? And then and then you just write about it. And and that's the that's the easy part is writing about it. It's all the stuff that goes into it. Uh, that's really exciting for me. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's great to. This conversation is great just to hear about your experiences and the different aspects of uh, how your education has played a role in in your continued growth and and learning. But just set you up to be an amazing dean uh, <laughs> yeah. here at, at Southeastern University. 
We're going to close our conversation and move into our fire round, and we're just going to ask you a few questions surrounding kind of everything that we've had a chance to discuss with you today, and and just again answer with your gut what uh, what's right there, and and uh, we want to grab again some practical and uh, and applicable pieces of advice from your experiences for all of our listeners today. So let's begin, Michael. You can fire away. All right. So what do you think are the most important qualities for servant leadership? Um, so, uh, for me, it's um, humble confidence or confident humility. I don't know which way I, I want to put that, but you need to have some humility that you don't know everything um, and that you learn from others, but also have confidence in the, what you do know and confidence in the process that you are, are trying to enact. Um, kind of ties back to that meekness with an edge to a certain mm-hmm. degree. And um, I, I think being uh, proactive and being deliberate and being forthright in what you do know, but also mm-hmm. being accurate in what you know and being, being ready to show your, your vulnerabilities if you don't know everything. Yeah. Which yeah. one of us do? What do you think is the, the first step in achieving uh, excellence in the workplace? I think first step is a clear articulation of what excellence means. Okay. I think if you have a group of 10 people, you might have 10 different answers for what that means. For some, it's it's a financial return. For other, it's job stability. Um, others, it's community impact, whatever it may be. So I think from the leader standpoint, being able to articulate very clearly, we expect excellence. And oh, by the way, this is what excellence, what excellence means. Is, yeah. And then, you know, kind of following on that, provide role models for people that demonstrate that excellence. Right. Um, be very clear on things that have worked and have not worked to achieve that excellence. Um, and then to, to wrap it up, just over time, continual checkpoints. Are we being excellent? If not, how can we improve that? Uh, or if we are doing great, how can we uh, enhance what, what excellence is to us? Yeah, and, and, and celebrate stories oh, yeah. of excellence. Oh, yeah, 100%. Yeah. yeah, no, that's great. Last question for us. Um, how do you help others around you improve? How do you help grow the team, right? It's one thing to personally grow yourself. How do you grow an entire team? Sure. Yeah. Uh, I think step one is get to know them. You yeah. get to know them. I, I remember when I was interviewing uh, for this dean's position, what are you going to do? How are you going to change the dean's role? I don't know because I don't know the different people that right. are in place to, right. to do. And I even didn't know Southeastern as well as I do now. And so for me to come in from an outsider's point of view and say, this is it, this is the solution, do do as I do or do, do what I say. Um, I, so you have to know the people, you have to know the place, you have to understand that. Um, and then you have to generally truly care about those people yeah. and not and I've seen a lot of people that are good at providing that perception that they care about mm-hmm. you but very quickly that falls apart and so get to know you um, actually care about you and then incorporate that knowledge of who you are and my yeah. caring for you into my decisions and sometimes you're gonna you know you have to make tough decisions that you have to hurt people that you care about sure but um, that should be a big part of, of what you're trying to do and, and, and what happens is they see you do that mm-hmm. then they start doing that with you they start doing that with their colleagues they right. start doing that with their customers they start yeah. doing it with other individuals and so um, being able to, to to be that servant and to, to role model it for other people I think is is critical yeah so good. So good. Well, Jeff, I want to thank you for joining us today on Framework Leadership Podcast and grateful for your insight and your wisdom. Uh, you are you are definitely making Southeastern University a stronger, uh, healthier, better place uh, to uh, for our students to learn and to grow. And so we're grateful you're here, grateful that you're serving uh, as, as dean. 
So thank you for being here. Great. Thank you for the time. I enjoyed the conversation. Love it. Love it. And if you want to stay up to date with Dr. Paul, you can follow him on LinkedIn. That's Dr. Jeffrey Paul. Great follow on LinkedIn. I've, I love the articles you reshare. It's, it's, uh, it's, it really enriches your feed. And then if you are watching us on YouTube right now, you love what you're listening to, now would be a great time to hit that like button, hit that subscribe button so that you get more leadership content right into your YouTube feed. You can also check us out on Instagram, Kent underscore Ingle, or at Twitter at Kent Ingle. Great more leadership content for those social media platforms. And then if you want to get leadership content, write to your email inbox. I love a good newsletter and we have one of the best. If I do say so myself, you can sign up for our newsletter at kentingle.com. Get great leadership content right to your inbox every single week on Friday. Thank you so much for listening to Framework Leadership. Take care, everybody. Take care.